Most paranormal investigations or friends getting together and ghost hunting involve some kind of equipment, digital recorders, cameras, items like that. But what happens if you took it to a different level, a higher level, using reenactment, wearing clothes from a certain period, acting out events that had taken place at this area that you're gonna be at or could take place. Welcome to Ghost Travelers Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kilgore, and today we're going to be talking to Adam Kimball from Resident Undead. I hope you enjoy the episode. Adam, uh, welcome to Ghost Travelers Podcast. I appreciate you joining us tonight. If you could, for our fans, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the paranormal community? Well, first off, thank you, PJ, for inviting me. Um, awesome. I'm, I'm excited to be on and talking with you guys tonight. My name is Adam Kimmel. I am the lead and host investigator of Resident Undead. It's really an interesting backstory for anyone that doesn't know. So real quick, I started almost a decade ago back in 2010 but it goes back a little farther to that. I actually was a political science international security major at Slipperock University. And this is the crazy thing about the paranormal guys. I heard one EVP. It was actually during a dare. My, uh, one of my, my old girlfriends, you know, she basically called me out because I used to watch the shows and I used to think, man, maybe this stuff's fake, you know, maybe it's fake. And on a dare, went out to a cemetery with a single digital voice recorder and captured one EVP that changed everything. It was literally a simple EVP of a, it sounded like a, a, a man straining with a voice saying, help. And when I heard that, my mind kept going in circles. Couldn't really, couldn't fathom it. You know, we all hear these EVPs, you know, it just kind of, it's mind boggling. I decided to drop out of college, teach myself filmmaking, and I pursued the paranormal ever since. And that was back, starting in 2008, 2010 is when I got real serious. <laughs> Yeah, those EVPs will do it, won't they? <laughs> they will, every single time. So, now, I, I watched a couple of uh, The Residents Undead, and, man, you guys do a great job. I really like uh, how you're... It's a, it's a different aspect of how to do a paranormal investigation. And can you describe it a little bit in your own words? Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's been evolving... Ever since 2010, actually, it was, it was funny because in 2010, I was going to do it by myself. I had been to a few locations, and I, it, it's really hard in the paranormal to find people that are serious. You know, you, you guys know as you interact with other groups, some groups are very serious, some are very playful. And I've always taken that very serious approach. And when I first started, I couldn't find that. So I was prepared to do this by myself. And then as I progressed, I did find some individuals along the way that were like, Hey, we'll take this seriously and we'll get as crazy as you want. And even from the beginning, I was always intrigued by time travel. And I mean, I'm a Star Trek nerd, okay? So by default, I love time travel, okay? But with the communicating with the deceased, it, in my mind, it processed as time travel. We're literally talking to the past. So instead of traveling faster than like to see them as, as their living selves, here we are time traveling in, in real in real time and that blew my mind so i wanted to design a concept around that where we would recreate time and try to see if the day would stimulate them to to almost have another kind of conversation let's talk about them let's talk about their time period and the one thing you will notice in resident dead is we do recreate time we dress up to time period if we go to an asylum we dress up like doctors nurses patients and it you know i've, I've had a lot of people say that this, this kind of research can be desensitized and, and dark. And given, you know, we're basically trying to trigger a memory. And the research that comes out of it's very important. For example, we were at St. Albans Sanitarium and we were doing a, an electroshock therapy. Now, given this was a very brutal procedure, they used to think that this was a way to cure people with mental disease. It's dark. But we figured if we tried this, it would be interesting to see what was what would come of it. And the reason I bring it up is there was one EVP that to this day, I, I just can't forget what was said. And it was right after Ashley pretended to shock Chris. We had a car battery in there. We had these like sparks flying out. 
and maybe that's what juiced the the atmosphere up to get this EVP. But right after we did this this little part of the ripple, the clearest EVP was captured. It said, "These are the memories that bother me. This is where they used to keep the bodies." And I mean, it's in the episode. It's clear as day. I always put the the evidence in raw. But what was learned in that moment by recreating time? We had someone that was deceased say, "Oh, by the way, you know, I hated I hated when this happened or when they did this." But you know what? They used to keep bodies down here. And what I think this spirit was saying was, you know, when it was cold out there and they couldn't bury bodies, they actually stored them down in the basement. You know what I'm saying? So it's. Yeah. It's something we learned from that dark research, which was just blew my mind. And that was we did that back in 2013. So as we've evolved, it's come a long way. But yeah, yeah as a, a quick overview, that is what the main thing of Resident Dead is, um, you know, recreating time. And we're big with psychic phenomena. Um, my uh, Rebecca Kirschbaum, she's been with me since 2012. And I was skeptical at first because it just seemed too good to be true. But I do believe there are gifted individuals, X-Men, as I like to call them. There are X-Men am among us, and I integrate her tactics with what we do with Ripples, and it's that's what creates that very unique recipe. Yeah, you know, watching Rebecca on the show, it, I mean, she seemed very genuine, and it's just a perfect mix on how you're doing it. Uh, I love the, the aspect of going back in time and you're, you're replaying, like how, you know, uh, there's theories out there that you could have an active haunting or you can have a haunting that's taken place that's in a time loop. And what you're doing is replaying the time loop and you're trying to get responses uh, of things exactly. that are still there. And I, exactly. Yeah, and I think that's very strong. It shows in your shows, you know, that you're getting responses. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's, it's if, if we were to die and it'd be 100 years from now, we would no longer recognize the culture. Uh, the dialects would be different. The conversation, like words. Just imagine in the last 20 years, yeah. the slang that has happened in the English language. If someone 100 years from now tried to communicate with someone from today's day, that'd be very difficult, right? Like we would, we would understand the language, but we wouldn't, you know, uh, our clothes are on fleek. And hey, bae, you know what I mean? Like we wouldn't. We recognize these as a part of the English language, but we, we wouldn't understand the slang. And that's just over a short amount of time the English language has evolved. So same with fashion statements and things we do in procedure. And that's the beauty of the ripple. You go back and you stimulate the conversation by, by giving them the ability to recognize something. You know, we don't do electroshock anymore, but they remember what electroshock was. And, and it's, and again, dark research, but it, it helps them. And I'm not just saying for that kind of stuff, if you were just even to use some of the right terminology and you go somewhere else and you dress up like they they used to be, it's enough to spark them because I do think there's a lot of the deceased that sit back and they're like, I don't want to enter. I don't want to I don't want to get a part of this anymore. I don't recognize anything. But the minute you bring something to their attention, they remember the conversation changes completely. And that's the beauty of having Becca there as well, because we're not just shooting in the dark. We're not just, hey, we're going to do this ripple and see what happens. and We'll check the recordings later. She can tell us in real time if two things are happening. Either uh, there's a residual energy there that, you know, she's picking up on it's not intelligent and reacting or the intelligent reaction where you actually get a spirit that wants to react. And that's when it gets interesting. That's when you listen to those captures and you're like, whoa, the dead. And now there's now you break that off into two more categories. There are the dead that actually think this is happening. They really think like, Oh my God, I remember this. And they try to interact. They're yelling. They're putting their two cents in. And then the other, the others that realize, hey, they're just kind of putting on a play. We'll, we'll talk. You know what I mean? It's so fascinating when you break it down, what's happening. And she breaks it down in real time. And, and to take it a step farther, you know, and she's battle tested. I've, God, we've been together for seven years doing this. You know, it's interesting when you see her notes and then I'm in the production room and I'm listening to the EVPs, which none of us have any idea on the ground what we captured. And then you listen and you get, wow, she's hitting some of this on the money. They're talking about the same things. It's just mind blowing, you know. Adam, how did you come up with the concept of doing doing the acting along with your paranormal investigation? It just, it was weird. <laughs> there's, there's nothing... There's no 
how do I want to put this? There's no, um, there's no right or wrong to this field. And it was interesting because I see a lot of talented people out there. And my best advice to them is just to, just to do you. Do your angle of what you think would work. And for some reason, back in 20... God, I think it was around 2011. I, I went to Villisca, the Villisca Axe Murder House. And for some reason, this was when it was like... It, it, it slowly, you see the evolution. It didn't start out as a ripple. It was, okay, we're going to dress up time period and investigate. And so it's like, you see the baby steps are forming. And then... I don't think it took many investigations after. I think it was the next investigation. Ironically, I went to Madison Seminary back in 2011. And I was like, you know what? We're just going to we're gonna run around and be doctors and nurses. And, and again, it's just an evolution to where it's this fine-tuned, we're going to literally recreate a moment for 20 minutes. We're going to fine-tune it. Becca's going to watch to see if anyone interacts with us, and then we'll report on it. So it was just a long evolution. I don't know where. It just for some reason to me... From the beginning, it seemed very important to dress up time period. Well, it's very clear that in your shows that it's working. You know, you get some remarkable, you know, EVPs. And I think that's the difference, you know. Uh, you get some of these popular places, like you were saying, the Axe Murder House, right? Uh, how many people go in there and, and they keep hearing the same thing over and over? You know, do you want to communicate? Do you, is there anybody mm -hmm. here? But you're bringing a total different aspect as in they're caught into what you're doing and they're reliving right. that time period. Right. You have said the you, – you hit right on the dot. We, we talk about this often. How many ghost hunters go in and, and say, you know, ask them what their name is? And then and, – and I, and I don't mean to call people out because I see this and it's just human nature. So we run public investigations at Madison Seminary. And, I, and I'll, I will join in. I will simply be a silent observer, you know. But I watch the public, and I like to see how people getting into the paranormal react. And my gosh, I can report this time and time again. People that have never met each other always asking the same questions. Once they, you know, establish, well, can you tell us your name? What's your name? What's your favorite food? What's your favorite color? And I'm just thinking to myself, man, if I died and 100 years went by... I would not care to tell you what my favorite color is or what food I like to eat. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's intriguing, but I would, I, it's just, it, it, this is the public census. This is just how they, they conduct investigations. And as you both know, because you guys go to a lot of places as well, you start fine tuning things. You start realizing how it, how much easier it is to communicate with the dead when you get right down to business. And you know, it, that's the public versus the private sector. Us private investigators just, you know, we're more honed. And But it, again, it's just interesting watching the public because you, you couldn't have said it any better. Couldn't have said it any better. Well, I say that one thing that you bring to the, to the stage is much different than anybody else. You've been known to sometimes buy, purchase some of these places that you investigate. And I know that's got to be, that takes it to a whole new level. It does. Um, it is. <laughs> and I will say, I love the duo, the father-son duo, because PJ, you're very lucky that your dad is in this with you, because my parents think I'm crazy. <laughs> so, which, which leads into this topic. I never had the chance to investigate with my parents. They're just really not into it. Um, but... Uh, purchasing it oh they thought i was crazy because you guys had been out to the randolph county infirmary yes and pj you know this i'm a friend of the arts this has never been about the money to me it's it's really this is very important research and i remember when you reached out i was like hey just go just go that is the point of having these locations um you know they are research facilities and it sounds crazy to say that but you know it to me it was the next step it's it was a lot of fun to investigate but over the years of doing this i saw a lot of owners i called them slumlords and I, I still would call them that they're very quick to take your money they know that there are people out there that love this research and they exploit it they put nothing back into the building and after about six years of seeing this i needed to step up and it started with randolph and then madison i fell in love with madison too and it was whatever it would take. At the end of the day, whatever it takes to save this. I'm not a millionaire. I'm not a millionaire. And uh, I'm lower middle class, actually. But 
it took me 10 years to establish this base where the parent, I know enough people in the paranormal community that if I need to save a location, I've got people. The paranormal is such an incredible group of people. And they, I can say this with Madison, the paranormal community stepped up and helped me save Madison. We have a local crew established. Madison is secure for the next 100 years. And, um, you know, under our watch, that's the beauty of it. And I, and I, I know it sounds crazy. A lot of things are crossing my mind right now, and that's why I sound sporadic. Um, it's such a crazy idea. It's hard to reflect because I'm not. I'm always ten steps forward of where I'm going, and sometimes I have to remind myself, "Oh, you own Madison Seminary. How cool is that?" You know what I mean? Yeah, like it's just exactly. I'm, I'm already on to the next chapter. Like, what are we gonna do next? What are we doing next? But yeah, you know. yeah, that's a great. I know PJ's. Uh, he's trying to get me to uh, to join him and come on down there and visit the place and uh, and do an investigation. And uh, I, absolutely. You gotta do it, man. It's beautiful. I mean, and I, I'm watching you guys doing it, and it looks like just a wonderful place, you know. And to be able to secure something like that that's going to be there for a long time, and I think that's just what a wonderful way to preserve it, you know. You're giving right back into it as much as you're taking out of it, as as much as you can. It's, I guess, I guess, and this will relate to you more, Pat. DJ, you and I are around the same age, and it's funny because. I, I talk about like pulp culture references and how things fade so quickly. And we don't realize that the past, like we're creating the past as we speak. Like this is becoming history right now. And there's something powerful about saving the generation before us or even a few generations back because we're losing our history, right? And there's nothing more horrifying than seeing the world change around you. And it's almost like you're being left behind and forgotten. Even our pulp culture references, now, now, Pat, even back, you know, think back to the 70s and 60s of things you remember that were pop culture. And then you talk to the new generation today, the baby, little babies that are like 10 and 12. They have no idea. It's that quick how we lose our past. And that horrifies me. I'm an 80s baby, right? Yeah. I love the 80s. I think the 80s were great. <laughs> and again, baby boomers coming up have no, what's a Nintendo? What's what's Legend of Zelda? What's all these things? And it's horrifying. It's like, how do you not know these things? What what? But you know, it's 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 our job to save this. Now, probably someone who's not even born yet will be responsible for saving the eighties, the nineties, and all these structures that are, you know, going you see what I'm saying? It's just I, I saw that urgency to give back because they were literally going to demolish Madison. It was and and guys, once it's gone, it's gone. You know, there is no getting these things back so yeah no adam before you uh you, you do an investigation uh how much research do you do for that facility you know how much time do you put in researching before you even actually get on the property and even think about starting an investigation there's probably about a good two weeks i'll start prepping myself the i can um you know, Becca will be kept in the dark. So that's that's how the protocol is. Becca does not know. All she knows is where our hotel reservation is. So she knows when we're getting there, where to go. But even just trying to find out, and she's not even that way anyway. She really, she is such an introvert. You know, she literally, she would love to eat chocolate and watch Netflix all day. She does this because I love to do it. And we're both artists. So like, she loves that. She loves the storytelling. But she doesn't get over eager or excited to figure out where we're at. So that's the beauty of that. So it's a very cold read when she gets there. Um, myself, Chris, um, Wooliver, um, Eric, you know, we've got a, a, a massive production team behind us. We kind of try to learn as much as we can on the ground. And that's because we don't have the same opportunities like a TV show. We don't get a production team that goes in the day before, gets all that stuff. We have one day maxed out at about 20 hours it's probably as hard as we can go before we start to crash yeah. to literally get there document as much uh b-roll as we can along with the history because we never know what's going to happen in the investigation never know we don't have the convenience of a third day to go back and be like hey they had a lot of experiences in these rooms go film these rooms so it's relevant for the episode it's just a shot in the dark so i try to get as much b-roll as i can um, try to gather as much as I can to make the investigation work. And it is important, as you guys know, you know, knowing your history is very important. I have done the investigations where I didn't, I just got dropped off 
now I'd have to try it a few more times to see if there is a big correlation because I always just do it by history. But you know, when you have that history, it lends you, it lets you plan your attack. Now, especially for doing ripples. Well, if we don't know the history, we don't know where to aim a ripple at. But the beauty of a ripple, it's not necessarily doing it right all the time. Sometimes it's necessary to do it wrong, to get them to interact. Like when I did the Velisca Axe Murder House, we deliberately like, you know, I think Reverend Kelly did it, but we didn't have any evidence. So we tried to spin the ripples to basically make whoever did it, if they're still there, which I believe they are, flex in a sense, attack his ego. And I remember before we were in filming the stuff, before we started the cameras on, I remember saying, I said, whoever you are, you have the next 20 minutes to confess, because if not, the way I do this ripple is the way the world's going to see it. Man, I remember the energy in the room just, it was, we were right outside the Moore's bedroom and the energy just starts, it got real tight. I was like, okay, camera's on, camera's on. We got their attention. And that was the ripple where we actually got the confession at the end. I am the murderer. I am Reverend Kelly. You know what I'm saying? There's, there are yeah. intelligent ways to use the ripple as a weapon. Um, but yeah, history is very important for that. I'll tell you what, I don't know about you. I know what PJ and I, it seems like some of the best evidence we catch is when we're absolutely not ready for it. It's something that you just catch and you didn't even realize it happened until after you go back and you're like, what the hell happened? You know, you just... No, you're exactly right. And and, and here's where I can can, uh, totally, totally agree. When we're at Madison Seminary, after the flashlight tours, the staff will do their own investigation you know what i mean we close the doors at midnight they have till 4 in the m to play or 4 a.m to play around and you know what i have seen constantly happen there whenever they are in the moment trying to get evidence evidence, it seems like it's it's coming in steady the minute they start laughing or start talking about something else unrelated to the ghost hunt yeah just crazy disembodied voices you hear footsteps and you're like are they doing this because we stopped paying attention? Uh, you know, we don't we don't really understand. But, yeah, that happens more often than anything. Yeah, that's some of the best stuff. Now, where do you see yourself going from here, you know, five years out? You know, where do you want to see yourself in your group? Uh, that's fascinating because even five years back, I would have never imagined saving properties. That is what I guess the definition of crazy is. If there was a course I could see, I would like to say between five to seven properties, maybe even more, but it takes an army to save these properties. So that would be a lot of manpower. And I said this, it's funny, after my first interview after Paranormal Challenge, they asked me what I wanted to do as a ghost hunter, which I always thought was the the most ridiculous question, but I answered it honestly. It wasn't to become the best ghost hunter. There are always bigger fish out there. There's someone who can perhaps investigate better and to me, it was rewriting the paranormal grid. It was to find new locations that have not been found or not, not investigated and to create um, or utilize or bring forth a new group of people in the underground. PJ, it's how you and I met, you know, the underground, you know, you start talking to people that are like-minded and we weren't in the scene prior to what 2010 right you know we all get into this later and i was tired of seeing the same regurgitated people on tv you never get to see the town of the underground and it was one of my goals to create that unity and i have made a lot of friends in the paranormal um a very extensive network where if i need something i just send out a bat signal and i got a friend somewhere in a state uh that can help me get an item or whatnot like you know we collect wicker wheelchairs I just sent out the bat signal, you know, who do I got in that area? So that was one of my goals. So moving forward to the next five years, yeah, saving more properties, continuing to do RU. I don't really have an expiration date on that. I, I would not stop filming until the day I die. I love it too much. But that would be the next five-year plan, save more properties and cover a lot more territory with uh, RU. When you go look for these properties, how do you find – what properties you want in each state like how do you do the research on it mm-hmm. it's 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 actually it's not as hard as a process as one would think you know you i will teach you how not to uh and to have one turned away 
the paranormal community is not seen as a friend to politicians. Uh, they look at us like we're devil worshippers, and uh, you, you guys know it's not what we do. But Hollywood and TV has skewed the minds of the general public because I was recently trying to save a property in Knox County. Now, by finding it, I look for properties that are under county control. Um, if it's county control, they are willing to talk to you. If you put in a proposal, you show that you have the financial abilities to do it. Um, you know, when I first went to Randolph, I think the timing was right. They wanted someone to go after it. And I had nothing else under my belt. I had nothing else to show for it. But I told them, you know, we have a lot of drive. We've got a lot of friends. And in the paranormal, you find a lot of people with talents. There's a lot of carpenters, a lot of bricklayers, uh, electricians. Since we all have that common bond of the paranormal, that's what's helped Madison. You know, all my friends have come together. I've never paid for a, a dime out of labor. You know, the the, cha the exchange of currency is the ghost hunting. I tell, I tell everybody, like I've told you guys, it's like, this is our, our research facility. We use it when we want, but we have to protect it. We have to keep it safe. And as long as we keep it safe and keep it running, we get to research the heck out of it. But like you're asking, I, I check county to county. I try to keep it within an eight-hour radius because I need to be on the ground to help. I need to also find out how many friendlies I have on the ground, how many friendlies as in people in the paranormal community, um, like-minded, they want to save history, they're all about it. Then you look to see what is owned by the county out there, and then you begin negotiations, and that's just one simple phone call. Um, it's, I think, a lot tougher to people because it's such a big step. When I first got into it, I didn't know what to do, and who do you go to? Who do you go to to talk to? Because a lot of these other properties, they're already pre-owned. They're like old money. You know, they, they've just, they've always been, they've always had the property. So it's very, it was hard to be like, hey, we're going to be the first to save it. So, but yeah, that's, that's how you do it. It just takes a little bit of research. You just got to look what's out there. You control it. I mean, you have absolute control of Resident Undead. And I mm -hmm. love the way you do it. What would you do? Would you be open if somebody contacted you and they were interested in looking at you for TV, but they had to take control of, uh, of the programming? Or would you just do something like that? That's a good, firing good question. This is a great interview. Um, so Becca, myself, and the team have talked about this. The one great thing about creative control is you have full control. And anyone's vision, you know, your guy's vision, my vision for what I'm doing, vision for what you guys are doing, no one's better in the captain's chair than ourselves, right? When you bring in a third party, they're not invested, I feel, sometimes. They're not invested into it. They're just maybe trying to make a cookie cutter. And since it's like looking at your guys' project on this, you guys are invested. You care. You want to be there. Your creative control is always going to count. My biggest concern, I wasn't against Resident Undead, you know, getting a TV deal. It's just very important in the negotiations to say, you know, we can't be changed. There's too much out there. And we're not traditional ghost hunters. Um, you can't slap us on there and, and make us do what ghost hunters used to do on sci-fi. You know, it's just not, yeah. it's not our cup of tea. Uh, we're not big on the debunking because we just don't air it. Like, if we debunk something on the spot, we just throw it out. It's not necessary footage to show. You know, but for ghost hunters, it was like, we got to show the debunking. That's cool. That's their cup of tea. Um, evidence reviews at the end. You know, you get these shows that are like, they're there like they think they can cure the place. Hey, I don't you, me, the three of us. I don't I think if you send us to a place, we're going to bring out the activity. And no matter what we do when we leave, we've sparked it up. So it's always intriguing about these shows. You really think you can you can stop this stuff like you can stop an invisible force with your sage and your words? No. But again, it's a gimmick for TV. And I just always wanted, and we can use the word gimmick, for Resident Dead, it was the angle of time travel. It just had to be the code. So with the TV show, I made it very, very clear. You know, I would want it. There's, I'm, I'm open to some tweaks. I'm always open. I'm, I'm a very open-minded guy to some tweaks. But the formula of time travel, ripples in time, and even the quarantine and how we observe the quarantine are, are things that would really need to stay. No. You've been doing this a long time. I mean, especially when you have your own facilities and you can do as much research as you want, and, you know, for as long as you want. 
what have you, Adam, what have you come to believe that, what are you communicating with? Do you believe it that they're actually dead people or are they something else? Is it a mix? What, what have you formulated as an idea of, of what you're communicating with or what you're trying to communicate with? I, I do believe we are talking with the deceased. But here's where I'm getting chills because we're about to go down the rabbit hole. There's been, you know, exactly what you said. When you have a center like Madison Seminary to conduct some very odd research, things start to get really interesting. You've heard of doppelgangers. And, uh, I, you know, Hollywood makes you think that a doppelganger, if you see your, yourself and it looks at you, you'll die. That's a good job, Hollywood, but that's not how it works. Doppelganger sightings have been seen a lot at Madison Seminary. Um, I have I have seen staff that are not there. I mean, I'm covered in chills right now saying this, and I'm one of those people where if it's not filmed, it never happened, kind of thing. And I and I apologize. I wish I had footage of this, but when a doppelganger encounter happens, it's it's just like you said about earlier how the best activity is when you're not ready. I remember one morning, I was asleep in the back house, and eerie, eerie. And this this all is going to get down the rabbit hole. This is only chapter one. Uh, one of the staff, his name was Trent. I was waking up and I heard the door open up and he actually had a key to get in there. So I remember opening up. I'm thinking two things are happening. Either Trent's there or someone's there to kill me. But for some reason, I was calmly accepting of the situation. And I remember just like, hey, who's there? Is that you, Trent? And I remember turning around the recliner and he was looking forward at the door, not even acknowledging me whatsoever. As I'm looking at him, he's like kind of half smiled, looking straight at the door he's opening. And then he just closes the door. And I'm like... Well, he's got to know he woke me up. I just said, hey, Trent. Um, so it takes me like a good minute. I get off the recliner. I go to the window. There's no car. I'm thinking, that's weird. And I open the door, and I'm like, I didn't even hear the gravel. I heard nothing. And I remember texting Addy because Trent's phone was disabled. He had to use Wi-Fi to like – it was just something that was going on. He was like switching plans or something. And I text Addy, and I said, hey, do you have any idea where Trent is? And she goes, within a minute – she goes, oh, yeah, he's at the library right now. He's texting me. He's getting paperwork for the seminary. Like, we have those waivers. And I said, no shit. I said, I just saw him on the property. Um, I just saw him on the property. And I remember being clear as day. But the one thing about these doppelgangers is they do not acknowledge you. Um, they will not look at you. And my theory was we're either seeing a past event or a future event. And the reason I say future event is Trent was dressed not the way I've ever seen him. He had a hoodie over his head and his hat was above the hoodie. It was so weird. It was like some thug stuff. And in the way, and I thought to myself, I had to think about it because I was lost for like an hour just sitting there. Like, what did I just see? I know what I saw. And I came to the conclusion that for a brief moment in time, the present and the future overlapped. And I saw Trent like... He was coming into the back house to, like, check on something. I wasn't there because when he was there, I wouldn't have been there. And I know that sounds eerie, but we've also caught voices in the asylum where people have said they've heard my voice calling to them from the asylum. And it's not that I haven't called to all of them at one time, but I'm thinking they're, they're just catching a moment from the past of it happening again. And... God, guys, I'm sorry. I'm scattered all around the, the, the spot because we just got done filming a return episode to Madison. And I don't want to spoil anything, but it is a big time travel episode because Becca made – she saw something. We were on the second floor. She goes, oh, my God, I can see us. And now this is where it gets deep. I'm covered in chills again. We leave our impressions everywhere. Yeah. You guys are both sitting in the living room right now, right? Yeah. 20 minutes now, you go elsewhere, but that residual energy, something remains where a psychic can come through and pick up on that. Even though you're not dead, they were like, hey, I, I'm, your signature is still there. Now, why does this make sense at Madison? Well, I'm there all the time. The team has been there a lot. So out of all the locations for it to be possible to really see our residual energy, Madison Seminary is the best place for it. And on the second floor, she said, oh, my God, I see us. I can see us. And she looked down the hallway and she saw what seemed to be us from the past, us looking younger. And she looks over to the other side and it looked like us from the future. And that's where time travel gets mixed. It's like, you know, are we talking 
this is me gathering my because we're gonna get deep you ask the question who do i think we're communicating with i think a majority of the time it's the past and i think sometimes it's the future and you know god i, I feel bad for anyone who's going to listen to this i mean man he's all over the place he's swerving but the i say future i had one volunteer his name is vance he was a skeptic prior to this and this is an incident i think of a future encounter where he went to this room 11 and he was just using his apple phone and he was recording audio and 20 minutes he was in there not very long maybe 10 minutes and he was just asking questions and one of the class avps he captured was a voice saying hello like a question well when you listen closer to that voice it sounds like one of the other staff who was at the building at that time but in a whole other wing and we started thinking you know that voice is like questioning like when you were talking it was like how we go into a dark room and we think we hear something we're like hello it's not like hello there's two different tones i just gave you right yeah. a hello is like i acknowledge you're here hello uh, versus a hello and we started to think it sounded like another guy uh, his name's spencer and we're thinking what are the odds if spencer was there later in the night and he said the hello because he heard something and vance heard it in the past which was the present you see what i'm saying like no adam it's I, just i think you're right on i uh we've had that thought for quite a while that some of the time especially when somebody says i think my house is haunted right yes yeah haunting is it's themselves you know it's like you could be you know sitting in your living room and all of a sudden you swear that that block behind you and they went into the cupboards and you heard noises in the kitchen and you, mm -hmm. you look back and you'll say hon is that you can you grab me something and it you don't get a response and then it could be six months down the line, you're in the kitchen going through something and then all of a sudden you hear somebody in the living room say, "Hun, is that you? Can you grab me something? I mean, I, I do think time overlaps in it and it, it's a thin veil. And so I, yeah. I don't, I think it's more common than we think it is. Yeah, we are the haunting. Um, that energy, you couldn't have said it perfectly. That was like on the money. It's, it's, you know, someone is very quick to say if their cabinet door is open that it's haunted. That could, that, that energy remains. That could have, you know, it, it sounds so mind-boggling when you think about it, but then it's so simple at the same time. It's, uh, we stay in our energy everywhere. And, you know, I have seen things happen at my apartment that I'm, I just, I saw a water bottle fly off a chair once. I've maybe only said this three or four times. You guys remember the fourth time I've said it? Because it sounds so crazy. And I remember thinking to myself, first off, no one's going to believe this. So I'm not going to talk about it again. But it was sitting in the center and it just flew off. And it, it didn't alarm me. Two things were going through my head. Either there is somebody that followed me and wants my attention. And that is poltergeist activity. It's not, you know, Hollywood makes you think it's demonic. I mean, if we died, wouldn't we be throwing stuff everywhere? Like, pay attention, we're here. It's not bad. Or... It was our energy there by itself. It was something that, you know, we caused um, from the past. Um, but, yeah, it's so deep. And, and, and my time theory travel, or my theory on time travel, which will be uh, explained in the new Resident Undead episode of Madison Seminary, is, again, maybe it's, I, I grew up on Star Trek, and I've watched, a, I love time travel. Like, I've always... It's captivated me as a child, like watching this and trying to understand, you know, Back to the Future, uh, even just Endgame with the Marvels and stuff, which I love. I love when everyone gets involved in time travel. But I think time is not linear. Time is we, you know, as humans perceive everything from beginning to end. When you run a race, there is a starting line and a finish line. You know, we can't comprehend what came before and what is to go after. Right. So that already is a red flag. Sometimes I think time is like a yarn ball and just imagine a yarn ball all messed up. And at certain points, those pieces of yarn intertwine. And when that happens, the present, the past and the future at times can overlap. And when that yarn, that piece of yarn, let's say two overlap, it's that's the point where we get that perfect communication class AEVPs. It's like five minutes solid, like activity. And then it stops and you're like, Hey, Where'd they go? It just got really, it died in here. 
no puns intended, uh, it got really calm. It's like I can move through the air. It's because the two pieces of time no longer overlapping. That's why we can't control our factors. And when there is an overlap, we've got to communicate as much as we can, as fast as we can. Um, But yeah. Well, a lot of people ask, and I'm sure they ask you too, you know, they're like, what is your favorite tool for investigating? You know, is it the digital recorder? Is it the camera? You know, whatever it is, and I always state, it's you, your body. You've got more senses going on than any piece of equipment we can develop. And to go Mm -hmm. back to this, what we were talking about, uh, ask yourself, you know, when that happened to you, what did your body tell you? Were you literally scared or were you startled? And you were startled. There was nothing to be scared of. It it wasn't that point. It's it's, it's interesting that because the more we do this a lot of the volunteers from madison are not ghost hunters so this was their first time experiencing the paranormal so it's always intriguing to watch a fresh batch of people come through and explain what they're feeling and i always joke about it's like spider sense i can walk into a room and this is acquired over time you know like your body just starts to know that something's off and the more you put yourself in these situations it develops but i can walk into rooms and my skin will start to crawl and it's not my body's malfunctioning there is some sense in my body that knows there's something going on here i have encountered a phenomena unknown and it's reacting to it once you start um once you start to embrace those abilities it really helps you and fear is one thing it's like the fight or flight you know when we're into a conflict of something you know your body's going to do two things you're going to either try to fight the conflict or you're going to run it's just human nature one or the other right and it's it's weird with the paranormal i think why some people get that scared and that uh, aggression that comes off of them we don't know what we're up against it is in in some sense the perfect enemy we can't see them. We can't detect them. At least us grunts. You know, I can't speak for Becca, but I'm a grunt. I'm the lowest class. Like, I have, they all are cloaked to me, all right? Star Trek reference. They're all Klingons, dude. They got their cloaking devices. I can't see anything. So that can scare some people, you know? So it's fascinating. But you guys, you guys clearly know this as well. The more you do it, you start, people are going to call you crazy. But the three of us here, we're friends. We can talk about this. No one's judging. You you walk into some places and you start feeling these weird vibes. It's, you know, you learn to listen to it. Like there's something to it. You're not crazy. No. Uh, what I suggest to people who are just getting into this, uh, dabbling in the paranormal investigations, because there's a difference between doing ghost hunting and paranormal investigations. I think that's two different subjects. But somebody who wants to get in for the first time, tell them, don't waste your time up front on buying all of the equipment like you see on TV. Really, if you want to experience something, that's what you want to use is your body. Go experience it. You will miss things if all you're thinking about is trying to take pictures or catch something on a recording. When you do an investigation, that's something different. You know, then you're really, you're trying to capture evidence to either show, demonstrate something. But if you really want to just start doing it, it's just get out there and experience, let your body experience, you know, the, the, the place that you're in, you know. I think that's where you're going to have, you're going to enjoy yourself the most, but that's where you're going to walk away with the experience rather than something fuzzy on an EVP, you know, or a, a picture that, was that dust or was that a globe? Don't worry about that. You know, what are you catching with your eyes, your ears, your skin? What's what are you picking up? Now, for you, what would you give advice? Would you give uh, somebody who, who just wants to uh, come out and experience it for the first time to see if something this is where they want to go ahead and and uh, invest time and money into it? What would you what, what you know? What would you recommend for them? You know, it's it's interesting because I try to watch people. You can I I can I can see people right away i know the ones that are going to take this seriously and the ones that are just maybe casual and this is actually a pj story there's a a story about you pj that i remember but like and i'll get into that um my best advice is you know 
if I could go back in time, I didn't have any mentors. You know, right now the paranormal's picked up enough where if someone gets into it, the community's much larger than it was back in 2010. And it was there prior to 2010, but it was more very underground. Like, it was so taboo. No one really talked about it. You kind of go out there and learn your own stuff. And I remember how much money I had to go through learning cameras. And, you know, you'd buy one camera and you think it's the all-end. And then you're like, wow, this camera kind of sucks, but I just dropped 300 <laughs> Now I can only sell it back for 100 and try to get this other camera because you had I had to keep learning. And it took me about three years, a lot of money, <laughs> a lot of money. And But if, if I could go back, you know, the best advice is, like you just said, there's ghost hunting and there's paranormal investigating, right? Do the ghost hunting and see how you feel about it. See if it's your cup of tea, as our British friends would say. See if you're into it. Because some people, you know what I mean, like they spend all this money on the equipment and they do like a real investigation. They're like freaked out. You know what I mean? They don't want to do it anymore. So feel how it is at first, right? Then if you're ready for it, then start investing in stuff. And don't be afraid to ask. And this, this goes to what you did, PJ. You know, you are dedicated. There are people, trust me, I know I'm very busy, but I'm always watching. You're on social media. I see what you're up to. You back in the day asked me a question about time lapse. Do you remember this? Yes, I do. Yeah, I didn't forget. I never forget. And you know where I thought it was great is you just point blank asked me. I have some questions about time lapse. What's the best to do? And I gave you the best knowledge of my abilities. I said, uh, if I can pass on knowledge, here it is. And I give out tips all the time, but what intrigued me about you was not only did you take all the filmmaking knowledge I could give you, you, it was like two days later and I watched on your feed and you did a time lapse. I'm like, my God, that's really good. Because time lapse is very difficult. You know, you got to render all the pictures together or you speed it up. But I was super impressed. And that's when I noticed you because you, you remind me of the, there are a few that are just really serious. Because if you get into the filmmaking part, You've taken it to another level now. You're not just doing it for fun and games as a hobby. You're trying to document it. And when I saw you do that time lapse, I was like, okay, you're one of those. Like you, you take the knowledge and you're trying to advance and be better. And it, it is always rewarding. Like when you watch people out there that do this, there are a lot of people that come and go, but there are a lot of people that stick around and they're very beneficial to the field. Um, you know, our, the research every five years it, it, you know what I mean? Every five years. Because I remember what we knew back in 2010. Like, I called it the infancy. There was a lot still known then. But now, even nine years later, the tools have advanced. The mentalities have advanced. Tactics, strategies. And I can only imagine the next five years where it's going to be. So, Well, I do appreciate the nice uh, comments you've been given. And I really do appreciate your internship with me. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. You know, I, I just love that. I love when I see people take you with your unique recipe, which we all have our own unique recipes. Like, it's just so intriguing to me what can happen. You know what I mean? And I was just, I, I think I liked it that you wanted to get into the film. You know what I mean? Like, it's, I share the same passion. You know, you want to make good stuff. And when I saw you do that time lapse, you were just taking it seriously. Like you literally did a really good job. Like I was actually thoroughly impressed. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, we did uh, not too long ago. Uh, Ghost Travelers, PJ and I, we went up to Colorado at the Stanley Hotel, and, and we did an investigation. And he's still working on making sure he puts out a really good finished product, you know. He's not rushing into it. He, he's waiting, you know. He, he's, he's really producing a really nice product you know, at the end. And, uh, and I'm glad he takes his time. And that's really how, you know, we kind of got into it, you know, uh, seriously. is because he wanted to do the production part. He really wanted to uh, take that to a different level. It's been a while. I, he's all. This is all you, PJ. God, last time we talked about advice was like I don't know a year and a half ago, and you just you set everything on fire. So, but if it means anything, I have to go to Becca for my spelling too when I do the subtitling of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> In the editors, there is no spell check. I'm constantly like pulling out my phone. I'm like, did I spell that right? Does it even look right? That's the English language crazy. 
Because, like, even the word the, if you're delusional been editing for too long, the word the looks like you spelled it wrong sometimes. Like, you don't recognize these words. Uh, trust me, I understand the pain. But I think what you will find uh, to love the most is, you know, I've talked to other filmmakers. We say this all the time. No one can take it from you. Once you've put that together, you have captured a moment in time of you guys going out there and doing this. It's, it's so much more powerful than people realize. And I think that's my fascination with cameras was back in, oh, God, back in college, back in 2003, 2004, when I remember my friend, like, you gave me a digital camera. And I wasn't even intrigued with the picture mode. It was the video. And I was like, ah, oh, that is so cool. And I, and I know this sounds like I'm like this dumb ape that just sees this color box. But I was so intrigued that we could capture a moment in time. It's, it's there forever. You know, and like with what you've done, you've captured that. And it's like what I say with Resident Dead. You've captured this adventure of these four friends going through and doing this. It's so cool because, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now, I can look back and I can remember those chapters. You know what I mean? I can remember those events in my life where, you know, it's one thing. Yes, they say live in the moment. And I totally get it. But in the end, all you will have are those memories to yourself. But if you can document it, you'll have that with everybody forever. And you'll find that passion as you keep going. Yes, it's a lot of work. Volume control, color grading, and all this. And that's because you'll become, you know, you'll get, every time you do an investigation, you're going to want it better each time. Trust me, you'll get real antsy on things. But oh, it, it only gets better. Because, you know, when you look at some of my first stuff from 2010, you can tell I didn't know what I was doing. And then you look at it now, and it's just a gradual increase throughout the years. You start every investigation, you're like, hey, I should have done this better. You know, you learn. You're like, hey, I should have put the recorders like this. Hey, I should have had the cameras aiming this way. And the more you do it, the better you get. But when that final product's done, it is the best feeling, especially when you get to share it with everybody. You know what I mean? And I did watch the trailer. It was really good. It's very good. Thank you. Adam, you bring up a good point. Uh... You know, so when we're watching the show, we're watching you, the resident, Residents Undead, I, there's the four of you, but when mm -hmm. it comes to the filming and everything actually taking taking shape in the episode itself, how many people are involved with you on that project? Mm, just me. Just, just you, huh? <laughs> just me. You and PJ so, sitting in a corner working on an apple. <laughs> if you and I, PJ, working in a corner, because that's literally... Here's, here's what comes down to it. You know, in the paranormal, it's, it's levels of how hard you want to go, right? And I remember when I first got into this, I knew from day one, I want to make this episodic. Like, I want to document what I'm doing. I just, I just knew that was the way because I went one time to Hillview Manor. And it was just, we were just walking around and it just seemed like a hobby to me. Like, everybody was having a good time. Ooh, we heard that EVP. Oh, how crazy was that? We talked about it for a little bit, and then the moment was gone. And I remember talking to Johnny Hauser at the Velisca Axe Murder House, and he said, I won't ghost hunt unless I film it. And I'm like, dude, you're right. And I said, there's no point sometimes. I mean, it's, 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 it's okay if you want to go and just have a little experience, but like, if you're going to go hardcore into this, there, it just needs to be documented. And... I remember I, I had to teach myself all this, but I do know a lot of the people I, I and, and I, I can only say this because I see teams come to Madison all the time and they bring their cameras in and I just, I'm just shaking my head. I'm like, you guys have no idea how much pain this is, how much pain, because it's not easy, but they'll bring like 20 cameras and I'm like, how the hell are you going to edit 20 cameras, right? Like you'd have to sit through, let's say you do an eight hour investigation and you have 20 and I've seen teams bring in the DVRs and they've got cameras everywhere. Well, if they do an eight-hour investigation, that's eight hours of footage on every camera. Uh, we won't see you for another two years. Like, you'll just be in your room editing. So you have to be very strategic about it. That's why I do just mobile cams. But getting back to what I'm saying is I taught myself that. It's like, PJ, when you took the, the decision to do it, somebody – there's only a few of us in the field. And I, and I do consider producers and directors in the field very valuable because they're the ones that are able to capture the moment of the ghost hunt. You know, I see a lot of teams, again, they'll come in with cameras, but you'll never see that footage again because they're so bogged down with footage and they don't have a system to it. Like, the one thing I had to learn with Resident Undead is we film every two to three months. 
I got slowed down a little bit when I got Madison because I had to be out there all the time. That's why RU went through this like hiatus of a year. I just had to be on the ground working. And again, RU can't go without me. I'm the one, you know, filming it and then, you know, with the cameras. But, um, you know, when I see these these teams, it's just bogging up. And, and PJ, as you know, the minute you're done with your footage, you got to go and start editing, like almost right when you get home, you know, or figure out your plan. You know, there's really no downtime. Every day is a wasted day if you're not in there, at least putting a little bit into it. Um, but that's what it's going to take, you know. Well, since I've been doing it for a while, I've learned how to make it very efficient. I know that when we film a quarantine, I know there's there's always, uh, you know, a camera on your target, a stationary cam, and then that's your footage for the quarantine. Very easy when I put that into the editor. The, I overlap those those two pieces of footage, and I've got, you know, relief angle and angle on the person doing the quarantine. Then I have two cameras back at base, so I can correlate what's going on at the timestamp. Like, so if, if Chris is in a quarantine, he experiences something, I zoom back to what's going on at base to see if Becca's picking up on anything. So literally I have four cameras, but again, it's cookie coder because I know we're on the radios and we record them at the same time. So when we give that countdown, four cameras are simultaneously linked together. That makes it very easy for editing and post, you know, everything's lined up and good. But honestly, the first thing I do after an investigation, I, I do all the audio review before I even start editing. I literally start reviewing all the audio and I have notes upon notes on my desk of timestamps and what was said because I have to listen. I always have to have the Pandora's close to the target because I need to hear what they're saying. And I literally have to write down my best guess because those old Panasonics aren't always the most clear if they're far away. So I sometimes have question marks like I think Chris is talking about so and so. And then when I watch the actual footage, I'm like, oh, that's the moment. That's the moment I need to overlap. And that's the most tedious part, overlapping the the recorder audio with the actual audio. But that's what you get when you get an, uh, you know, EVP captured or, or yeah, you know, that, that overlays. Um, but, yeah, audio review first. And what will make things easier for you is if you are working in tandem and both of you have a camera, always do a countdown together. And you probably do. It's just that when you're editing it, you don't have to look for a certain audio clip to be like, oh, that's where it's at. It's just you know, one, two, three, record. Um, but it doesn't take me long. I've been doing this now, God, way too long. <laughs> uh, seven, it started getting real serious around 2012 when I got back in, but I did have other stuff edited. I had 11 episodes prior to that, but they were like, I don't even count them. I don't count them. They're, you know, you mean our first stuff. Um, but you, you learn as you go. So like when you just got to get a formula down, when you go to investigate somewhere, just get a formula of a free roam and you're going to film the free roam. And then let's say you want to do uh, a quarantine or an isolation, just get a formula down to that, have two cameras running. It'll just make it very easier in post. Well, Adam, you've been extremely generous with your time. And I just want to ask you if uh, somebody wants to get to know you a little bit better or find out more about uh, Residence Undead, how, how would they go about doing that? Um, easiest way to find out more about Residence Undead is on YouTube, uh, Resident Undead. Just type that in. You'll find our channel. And right now we have 15, I believe it's 15 full episodes to watch. So you can binge watch it. Um, you know, you can actually, it's kind of cool. You can watch the development. The very first episode we did in the modern RU, because I was doing this prior, the modern RU starts at Saddamsville Rectory, I believe that was 2013, and you can watch the progression up to 2019. Um, so you can catch up with that. Um, that's best. That's actually the best way to get involved. So, and if you are interested in ever coming to investigate the Madison Seminary, the easiest way to find information is on Facebook. Type in Madison Seminary. It's located in Madison, Ohio. We keep everything up to date. We have a calendar. Um, we do events constantly. Uh, I think you guys would thoroughly enjoy it. So that's for everybody out there. I would like to thank our guests for spending some of their time today with Ghost Travelers Podcast. If you would like to share an encounter with the paranormal, email us at ghosttravelerspodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's ghosttravelerspodcast at gmail.com.
You can follow us on Instagram at Ghost Travelers Podcast. You can also follow our paranormal investigations on Facebook at Ghost Travelers. There you will find information on future and past investigations, along with a link to YouTube to view our investigation video episodes. Again, that is Ghost Travelers on Facebook. I would also like to thank Grant Wilson for allowing us to use his music uh, for our episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a positive rating on your podcast platform. Until next time, this has been your host, Patrick, from Ghost Travelers Podcast.